0: starting the podcast. We're just going like, oh, like,
1: oh mm. and another thing. And then another
0: thing. Uh, and then we do a high five, because we always do that. And then uh, we go, ha ha ha, 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 Hey, everyone. Welcome to Misfits on Vinyl. My name is Spencer Striker. I am one of your hosts. Today, unfortunately, Aaron Walsh is not here. Uh, Aaron is actually in Ottawa. It turns out he got his email invite to the trucker convoy a little late. He's showing up right now. I don't know how that's going to go, but we will insert photos of Aaron at the Capitol. Um I think that I think that it's gonna be interesting to see how he does a one man <laughs> revolution. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding uh he's he's uh he he booked an HBO show. Aaron's an actor as well.
1: Oh congratulations yeah. Aaron. Yeah
0: so Aaron <laughs> is uh Aaron's actually right now currently filming for the Jon Snow series.
1: Did they um, say like were they like <laughs> The last thing he said to you was, Don't tell anybody about this. He literally
0: like- said that. And I was like, I'm telling everyone about this. I'm telling our th- our, our fan in Brussels. We have a fan in Brussels. Hi. <laughs> All right. That's so cool. I guess I should probably introduce you. Uh, so joining me today is my co host, uh, first guest on the podcast. Whoa. Which is dope. Uh, comedian, really good friend of mine, Brittany Lysing.
1: Hi, guys. I'm just in your living room. I'm always here. I'm yeah. here a bunch. <laughs> we, we honestly,
0: we hang out in my living room a lot. <laughs> a lot.
1: I'm always, I'm pa- I, it's usually panicked calls for self-tapes. Yeah. And I'm like, Spencer! <laughs> 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 then I haul ass down here. Uh, I'm happy to be on. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, no,
0: I'm wow. super happy to have you on. Okay, uh, one thing that we always do on the podcast is we, because we are officially, unofficially sponsored by the award-winning brewery Cabin brewing cabin sam sam the tech man is the brewist over at cabin so today we have uh we have zen garden which was the gold medal winning patio beer did i get that right i fucking nailed it um so i'm gonna crack this it's a jasmine rice lager which sounds fucking delicious um but you are uh, you're off the I'm sauce for the, a little bit. I'm off the sauce. Yeah. Uh,
1: the sauce became problematic in my <laughs> life uh, and problematic in other people's lives. So I've uh, I've taken a little break. Uh, but le- let me know how it tastes because this is something that I would drink and really enjoy. You and it's I, a rice lager. You
0: know what I really love Ooh. about this is that uh, I, I feel like you and I have very similar tastes in beer. So. I get to describe in great detail how good this is. Yeah, and you just have and to I just watch have to look drink. at it
1: because <laughs> I feel like the universe keeps testing me. They're just like, "Hey, what about this? How about now? How Do about like now?"
0: It? What I think is really funny. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I guess uh, I mentioned this on the podcast, but a couple of weeks ago, Brittany and I uh, went to Cranbrook, uh, <laughs> and I oh, panicked. Because I saw Brittany having a beer at one
1: point. Oh, my nonies.
0: And, and, and it was a non-alcoholic beer, but I didn't know that. And so I was like, oh, no, am I the bad influence that made Brittany start drinking again? Because <laughs> I fucking will pound, like, four beers after a show. I'm just like, oh, no, whatever.
1: I also didn't <clears throat> stop drinking. I was joking. I just stopped drinking because I was just uh, – I'm a comedian, so I'm in a bar every night. Yeah, yeah. And everyone – I was getting to the point where I was walking. When people know your order for food – or for booze, you're there too much. Yeah. So people were walking, they'd just, like, give me my thing. So I was like, maybe if I take a little break, <laughs> a little reset. So I'm always trying to find the moment when I'm going to have my first beer or have, I'm like, but I never know when it is. Could be
0: now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God. Drink the whole thing, smashed. on my If you fucking face. came back strong <laughs> on the pod, that would be the way to do it. I would love that so goddamn Oh, much. my God. It's so funny, though, because you mentioned that, like, so I, I run the uh, show at Tea House every week, and yeah. every week I walk in, and they give me a Far Heffy because it's been my beer for a year. Yeah. Um, what is terrible about that is that I can't say no to it because it it is a very crushable beer. <laughs> uh, it's so easy to fucking just down those babies. Uh, but I, I asked them, I was like, so what's – uh what's a different beer that I can try? And they were like, well, you'll need to find one because we're actually going to change this. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, you know what? That's probably a good thing. Because I think that then that will be...
1: That'll discourage you because you're not yeah. looking for... I know, it's it's like a, uh, my beer is always, or forever was, like I'll always drink, like I love a good microbrew, mm-hmm. love tasting different things people are making. But like my just go-to everyday beer was Keith's. Oh, yep. And then I'd order a side of clam mm. cuz I'm a 962 year old man. <laughs> <laughs> just drink it and anytime I'm in like a You need to get your calcium
0: with your beer. <laughs> the
1: only time somebody doesn't second guess that order is in a legion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in like a restaurant they're like gross. Um, Did you
0: hear that legions are dying?
1: <laughs> I hope
0: not cuz I just wrote
1: a joke about it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't have any more out of date material. <laughs> I will no longer be hireable.
0: Oh fuck. Um. Okay. So I. I think it's. Funny. Okay. First off, I have to say this is very tasty, Sam. Congratulations. Good uh, job, Sam. It's very smooth. This is. This is deceptively smooth. This I could see this fucking me up on a patio. Uh,
1: is it? Uh... <laughs> you it's... drinking out of that record cup? <laughs> <laughs>
0: This is the official cup of the Misfits on Vinyl is podcast. It's
1: <laughs> stunting my ability to be genuine. I <laughs> I can't take Especially my eyes I have
0: to drink out of a corner. Yeah, that's it's a w- fucking square top like
1: I also love that like just drinking out of the can would have been more beneficial to the sponsor.
0: Yeah, 100%. But you were like But we got One Sugar Records, keep it brewing. <laughs> <laughs> cool brew featuring tea cool. and coffee. Hell yeah. Um okay, so uh so one thing I want to uh, bring up uh, sure. we got a, we got another date out of town together, woo! uh, woo! uh, high five from a distance cause I don't want to move forward. Me neither. Um, uh, but we're going to be in Lethbridge the, uh, 20th and 21st of January. Oh yeah. I believe it is. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think we got, uh, well, we got three shows and then we got an extra one, which I'm super excited about. <laughs> yep. Which, uh. We're gonna be hush hush about it, but hi, you'll fucking you'll know about. You'll it You'll find out. You'll find out. Um, um, but if you're in Lethbridge, if in you're in Lethbridge, two come months, on out in three months. We do have a we do have a Lethbridge listener. So do I, we? I think it hi. might be Forrest. <laughs>
1: yeah. It might be just our friend who hired us. <laughs> yeah, um.
0: <laughs> it might literally just be the comedy club owner <laughs> that is listening to well, us. Well, if Lethbridge. it is you,
1: I love you and uh, thank you. Yeah, and if it isn't you. Come to our show.
0: Come to our show, because uh, honestly, uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun, and we 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 work really well. We our acts complement each other. Yes, I would say that. Uh, I say things that are far too dark, and then Brittany lightens things up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I actually did a show last night, and uh, I have like some new darker stuff I've written, and it was kind of like. It, w- it would have tripled down on like darkness and the i'd say like a few i would go into these new jokes that i've written and the audience was like no no more <laughs> and i was like oh okay well fine because the two acts before me had like told darker jokes oh no so then i was like i guess i'll just have to be pleasant
0: my my favorite thing last night uh i was doing a show with uh 12 people in the audience, yeah, uh, and. uh I am doing this material right now about being poor and growing up poor, and I asked who grew up poor, and nobody wanted to talk about it, and then it turns out everybody there did not grow up poor. So when I got to the end where I'm just shitting on rich kids, they (laughs) fucking hated me. They're like,
1: oh... (laughs) Nothing more. Where, where was the show? Was it at... Oh, I know where it was. Yeah, Confluence yeah, yeah. Distilling. Uh, yeah, that's where you find all the poor people, in a gin distillery. Yeah, in a gin distillery in a very inconvenient location to get to by public transit. Unless the, distil- the distilling happens in a bathtub,
0: then... It's not going to be your audience. Right next to Kevin Brewing. Right next to
1: Kevin Brewing. Whoa. Which,
0: uh, as we've mentioned, the official unofficial sponsor of the podcast. Hell Uh, yeah. Okay. so let's do it. Let's get into the album. So on Misfits on Vinyl, every week we discuss one of our favorite albums or one of the biggest albums or an underrated album. And this week we have a very special one because it's our first Canadian artist. Oh. First of all, which I'm super excited about. And it's one of Britney's favorite albums. And since I started listening to it in prep, it has become one of my favorite albums. So good. The album that we're reviewing is Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. Whoa. Woo. applause. I'm going to set that there. There we go. Um, okay, so <clears throat> this is her third album, but it's considered by many to be her debut because it's where she found her sound.
1: Yeah, before, like...
0: I don't know if it's too
1: early to dive into it, but it before her stuff was pretty like generic pop. Mm-hmm. Like it was really like, it was like the industry was like, hey, this girl can sing. This is what we want her to sing.
0: We want really fluffy hair. It we flup- want neon it, spandex. It
1: sounded almost Janet Jacksony,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, or like uh, Paula Abdulish. Yeah, like it was very like that like pop. Almost with a funk background with, like, dancing in the street in big jeans. Oh, God. I don't quite know what it was. And the music
0: videos were so cringy. I was watching some of them and I was like, oh, there's, like, one where she's, like, got a snake and she's on the ground and she's, like, singing up and it's in black and white. And I'm like, why did anybody approve this?
1: Do you know what? I've never understood the appeal of a snake. Mm. Like in a music video in your home, in any aspect of your life, and then it's like weirdly sexualized, yeah and I always just think like I don't know it would be so 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 hard to stay hard <laughs> knowing that you could be murdered at any time
0: like it's so like wouldn't you just be so concerned about that movement of the snake? Well, I also think this why is it okay that we sexualize a snake but not a dog <laughs> I mean, I'd rather fuck a dog than a snake. If I'm being honest with you,
1: I mean, it, they're sturdier for sure. They're sturdier. I they're... wouldn't even
0: know where to enter a snake. I wouldn't either. They're they're cloaca. That's a fucking <laughs> terrible place to fuck. <laughs> cloaca. That's their that's their asshole and genitals. It's one hole. Oh, birds and snakes, birds and reptiles have a cloaca.
1: I like how you said that, thinking I would know what. That
0: was. <laughs> 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 like. What oh, the fuck hell. is that? Oh. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Siobhan just fucking, just phone's going off. We've, we've had everybody's phone has went off once on the podcast.
1: Did I, did I turn mine off? I don't know.
0: I, I mean, double check, but it's okay if it does. Oh, my
1: God. Forrest texted me.
0: <laughs> oh, good. Hi, Forrest. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, getting back to the album, though. Um, okay. So this is a post-rock, post-grunge, post-pop, alt album like it is kind of the birth of female alt in a way um because like there was well well i what i mean by that is like like in a mainstream way like like because she was the first one to really hit it into that next stratosphere (laughs) because before you had heavens to betsy you had uh courtney love you had
1: old pixies
0: the pixies you had like a few of these bands that were like really fucking good but they didn't they didn't break at the same level as Alanis did.
1: Well, it was like, I'm starting to like understand, I guess because I've been always a little more alty. Like my Mm -hmm. tastes seem to lie in what, maybe everybody doesn't know yeah and then i have this like revel- like i always think they're so big like like my reaction to that was like what you don't know the pixie and then i was like okay <laughs> but like at that time like the pixie's pretty underground well and especially because that was like...
0: pre-internet so like this yeah. is like the only thing that people know is what's on the radio yeah and something that i found out when i was watching the documentary apparently a lot of radio stations wouldn't play more than one female artist an hour <laughs> so they would play no doubt And then they wouldn't play Alanis. Like, they could not fathom putting them back to back. Um, And she actually changed that because she had such a, like, fuck you sound that it was undeniable.
1: Do you know what's funny about that? Is, like, so just radio stations in general just, like... Pop radio stations. Mm. Are you referring to? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it funny that for the first time in history, country music was more progressive? Because there was there's a lot of like female country music artists I can remember in the 90s. But then if I compare the two, you're right. Yeah. When I think of the 90s and what they were playing, it was like a lot of like I mean, even if you like pick up a big shiny tunes, yeah, uh, uh, much music compilation. The those throwbacks.
0: I love that, dude. They were like, <laughs> but I
1: look on those albums and there's not a lot of female artists on there. So maybe mm-hmm. just in the genre of sort of alternative uh, or like rock punk, they avoided female artists, which just yeah. blows my mind.
0: It is. It is insane because, yeah, like if you looked at country at the time, you had Shania Twain, you had Reba McIntyre, you had, uh, you know, I would say uh, Cheryl Crow falls more into the fucking alt. Yeah. But like she she got a lot of country radio airplay, which is, I mean, crazy. Yeah. Weird. Um, <clears throat> but you look at how many female artists there were at the time that were country singers that were huge compared to the alt or the pop side. And honestly, like, pop music in the mid-'90s was kind of dead. There was, comparatively, it was like the three big things that you had uh, were you had hip-hop, which was at, like, an all-time fucking peak. You had, you know, some of the biggest names out there, and they were all getting actual radio play at the time. You had... The, you know, grunge scene, which was getting, like, that was, like, right when they're at the tail end. Right. Like, right in 95. And then you had you had these uh, newer country artists that were singing, like, that that kind of took that old feel and added, like, you know, they had steel guitars and everything. But it was more, like, it was more, I, I think 90s country was the best country. Me,
1: too. Because you're talking, like, I mean, some of my favorite artists still. Brooks and Dunn. Brooks and Dunn. Oh. Vince Gill. Mm. I love Vince Gill.
0: Vince Gill. It was, like,
1: it, it almost reflected, like... Some of that older stuff, it was. I mean, Garth Brooks started to be the change of that, I think, yeah. Um, because he he dove more away from like traditional country and it started sounding more rock, yeah. Um, but then, but yeah, it was a weird era. So you think about like that point, how I don't know, man. How are they not playing?
0: How are they not playing more female artists? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and so what. Uh, OK, I'm going to I'm going to get back to, like, where we were here. OK, the uh, OK. So it was recorded between March 8th, 1994 and April 95. Uh, so there was, you know, 13 months that they're recording this this album. But she's re- OK. So it was produced and co-written by Glenn Ballard. Uh, oh, God. I got to just get rid of pop-ups. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) It was produced and co-written by Glenn Ballard, and his discography is fucking insane. It starts with Thriller, and it's still going today. He, uh, she went to L.A. uh, after, like, I'm kind of going ahead here for a second just to explain who he is to her. Uh, After uh, MCA Canada dropped her, uh, after her second album, she went to L.A. She got in touch with him, and over the course of a year... Uh, and a bit, she would come in. They would have these songwriting sessions. They would write a song every session, but they only had like twelve sessions in that year. They had twelve tracks that they wrote for this album, and uh, most of them were one takes. Most of these wow. songs were like because she had came from this like bubblegum pop thing, and they would want her to like harmonize, and they'd have her like redo takes and redo takes and redo takes. She said she didn't want to have that approach at all and she wanted to just if it fucking worked it worked and if it didn't whatever
1: which is very like I don't know that's a real punk attitude mm-hmm. that's very like look and it, it's it, it, and it's kind of uh I don't know that's pretty cool that's like she's like fuck it if it it works it works if it doesn't I don't want to talk about it or do yeah. it or try it again or fit it into a weird box that you need it to be
0: in and and it didn't it what I think is great is that uh, Glenn Ballard understood that it didn't need to fit into a box, because when they got this album done, uh, well, when it wasn't even done because they were they were only recording demos, uh, and the demos, by the way, I listened to them and they sound almost exactly like the final track, like tracks, the studio track. Like the studio track, um, they pitched it to every single record label. Nobody wanted this. Of course, every single person that they talked to said, "This is too angry." Too edgy. Uh, this Nobody's going to like it that a woman's talking like this. Because this is in the 90s and, and there's still a fuck ton of, like, open misogyny in the industry. And so, uh, they basically, they they pitched everywhere. Nobody wanted them. She went back to Canada. Then she came back down. Her family, like, helped her pay for, like, one last fucking trip to make this. <laughs> she gets a meeting with Maverick Records. There's a newbie there. He listens to Perfect. And he's like, wow, this is beautiful. And then that mid fucking song shift where it gets real like edgy and you're like, oh, damn, are you a knife girl? Because you got an edge to you. Like, it's just fucking (laughs) very sudden.
1: (laughs) Uh, Perfect is such a um, heart wrenching track. Yeah. Because you're just like. You're like, oh, the, first of all, it's beautiful in sound. So, Gorgeous. like, sometimes if you're not listening to lyrics and you're just listening to the sound of the track, oh, it, like, I'm often, like, you know, you're just driving. You're like, what a pretty song. Yeah. And then you start, you're like, oh, my God, this is so sad. It's horrendously heartbreaking. You're like, and then you just know, like, I, I think uh, more than anything, like, her relatability mm-hmm. to certain sad situations. Like, when people say, like, oh, this, this is too sad, what – what a ridiculous approach to music because, like, the people want to feel sad. People want to feel sad. People like knowing that people think they're, they go, Oh, you're also sad. You're also bummed out. Like, you, these little moments of like, that's a big, that's a big, heavy track. But, like, a lot of people have felt that way. Oh, yeah. And she was like, How about,
0: <laughs> how about this? <laughs> how about this? And, and it's so funny, too, because, uh, she, uh, co wrote all of these songs with, Glenn Ballard but he even said she wrote the majority of these like the lyrics were like all her
1: well tonally,
0: it makes throughout
1: the whole album you can tell that these are her thoughts because it's almost conversational Mm -hmm. like every every song is like she's telling you a thing that only she could have thought like it's like when somebody like when somebody writes a joke that's the only way I can think of it yeah it's like if you write a joke only you could tell Good luck stealing it. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, well, that's how would you even... You don't even talk like that or think like that. No. So it's like when you hear every song, you hear like the anger, the sadness, the whatever. And and there are a lot of them are conversational. Like there's something so cool about the way she does stuff because she's just sort of talking to you. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, like this is different than anything I've ever heard.
0: Literally the first track on the album. Yeah. It starts out with... Do I stress you out? My sweater's on backwards and, <laughs> and inside, inside out. out. <laughs> and you say, how appropriate. That actually happens to her because she walked in to record with Glenn one day. Yeah. And she was a fucking physical mess. And he was very confused. She's and she went, out. fuck it. This is, this is literally a track. <laughs> like, that's so funny. Like And, and it, it is that, like, taking that experience that only you have that nobody else can take.
1: Well, I'm like, I'm sort of now thinking like, is that, that's very Canadian. Like that way of speaking, that very like dry, honest, Mm -hmm. like in, it's never in your face, but it's just like, well, here's the. I, cause I'm thinking of like the way some tragically hip songs yeah, and the ly- lyrically in the tragically hip songs, like Gord Downey says things you would only say in conversation cause they don't make really any sense to put in a song. Yeah. So like when, do I stress you out?
0: Yeah. Like, rate them,
1: <laughs> like is something you would in conversation, like I, like that's a weird thing. Cause she's asking you a question.
0: Like she's starting a song. By asking a question. By asking a question. And not only just starting a, a song, starting an album. Yeah. Which is fucking like, that's a ballsy move.
1: And it, again, like, what a, what an intro. Mm -hmm. What a way to like, I, as I pulled up to the house, Spencer heard me just like rocking the thing. (laughs) Yeah. And I was actually like on the way, I didn't even get, I've listened to the album a million times. Yeah. I listened to the whole thing this morning again. But on the way here, I was like, there's something so big and bold about how she starts that album. Yeah. That makes you feel like she's like, you're. I have your ear. Yeah. I'm telling you what this is going to sound like and feel like. And like, don't like, but in a way, like it cradles you almost like you're like, you're like, oh, she's got this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, and and it know. also
0: feels like it, it doesn't feel like I, I find a lot of times when artists do that, it it feels too aggressive and it it it's a very aggressive album, but it doesn't feel too aggressive. You feel <gasps> like you're safe it, while listening to this. You feel like you're yeah. on a journey that you are protected in. It it kind of goes back to, excuse me. Whoa, that was bad. Um, <laughs> there was uh, the the writer of Fight Club. He had a he had a quote that I read where it said, uh, "Take your audience uh, to where they would never comfortably go. Take yourself to where you would never go." And mm. that or uh, no, take yourself to where you would never comfortably go. Take your audience to where they would never go. And that's what this album kind of feels like.
1: Yeah. Well, and she's like right off the hop. Like it's a big rock sound. Yeah. Like it and it's a different sound. Yeah. Like it's it's not something you've heard before.
0: And it and it's great because it's not any of the three genres that this falls into.
1: Not really. It's it, not punk.
0: It's not punk. It's not grunge. It's not uh pop. It's
1: It's closer to rock, but it's pretty alty yeah.
0: because even her sound, like you know, you almost want to call it like the
1: Alanis accent, like yeah. whatever she's doing that. <clears throat> I don't know if it's natural to her or whatever <laughs> that, or if sometimes you, they just artists make up a sound. Yeah. They go Like this is the sound I make.
0: And, and it's, and it honestly, if it works, it's fucking amazing.
1: Well, now you hear that sound and like, you go like, Oh, the Alanis. like, that's another mm-hmm. thing. There is nothing unmistakable about her. No. Like, you listen to her sound. You, her look, Everything you go, this is Atlantis. Yeah. You like, there's not a lot of artists you can say that
0: about. No, there's, but I think that there's more Canadian artists that you can say that about than anywhere else in the I world. I would agree. I I'd, would go
1: as far as even to say Justin Bieber. Yeah. Like as soon as you hear a, a Bieber track, you go, yeah. you go, oh, this is Bieber. Oh
0: yeah. hundred percent. Celine Dion. Celine Dion, Rush tragically hip yeah uh you know uh neil young like you you, Joni mitchell you you leonard cohen you hear like just a little hint of something and you're like i know exactly what this is nickelback again another one uh it's
1: it's a real story yeah it's honest maybe maybe it's a little more sincere it's not like craving that fandom or that star you know that that
0: uh and and i think that that's a hundred percent what it is too because uh I think that most of these artists were not exactly craving that. Because even, even Alanis, when I was watching the documentary about her, it didn't seem like fame was her endgame with this at all. She just wanted to create. Okay, yeah. um, so I want to I mention uh, back to Maverick. So Maverick was a record label that was owned, started by Madonna. So this newbie listens to this song, Perfect, and he goes, this is amazing. He brings them in. They were in a songwriting session when he called. They come in. He's like, yeah, we want to sign you. Uh, Madonna is, like, on board 100%. The the actual, like, brick-and-mortar establishment of uh, Maverick, though, was a piece of shit. Like, Madonna (laughs) walked into a room one day, turned on a light, and something fell off the wall, and she went, fucking piece of shit. Like, it was a horrible building. So... Kind of works perfectly for the fucking tone of the album and what she's going for. Like, this sounds like just such beautiful poetry coming together.
1: It's a, it's dirty a little bit. Mm-hmm. It is. It's dirty sounding. Like, you're like, it's not. Yeah.
0: It is a jagged little pill. It
1: is a jagged little pill. And
0: uh, what's crazy is, like, so when they started recording the album, recording artists included Dave Navarro of Jane's Addiction. Wow. And flee from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay. Which is insane that they agreed to do this. But then uh, when you look at who was touring with her, mm-hmm. uh, so first off, she gets all of these songs made. Her album's going to come out. They send a single to K-Rock. K-Rock hears You to Know and literally within 10 minutes they put it on the air they they scrapped their whole fucking plan which as somebody who's worked in radio before i know that's a pain in the ass so there's no goddamn way like it it has to be amazing for that to happen
1: that's somebody with their ear to the ground though too though yeah it's like hearing something and being like this now let's be the first
0: let's be the first Let's let's break this
1: which is like it doesn't i mean not to be traumatic but this like we're gonna change the way people hear music yeah because that's what that's what that song did. It did. It changed our
0: ears. It changed
1: our brains.
0: And and how, like, how she was able to, uh, first of all, people were very aggressive about the fact that she was talking openly about, you know, sexuality as well in the 90s. And sort of angrily. Angrily. She like, was fucking owning it. And that was, like, that was unheard of, especially yeah. for a female artist. So the fact that she starts it off by being like, I gave you fucking head in a movie theater. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that your girlfriend's going to do that? Like, it, fuck me. That's insane.
1: But again, like, I think there's something to the idea that sort of the the sadness and the anger from that that is ident- like you can identify with because you're like. You know, people want to pretend to be not angry yeah, and they want to pretend to be happy all the time, whatever the fuck that is, which is crazy because that's how like, (laughs) that's about people write manifestos. (laughs) Yeah, that literally is. No, 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 no. But there's like the thing of like, there is no crazier version of yourself than when you're in love with somebody Mm. and then it goes sideways. Oh yeah. Because you like, you, people want to pretend like, oh yeah, I don't think that's very healthy to say that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like the true, I think, I don't, maybe it's just me, but it's just like, I blew you in a movie theater. This bitch going to blow you in a movie theater? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> which I don't think, I think people have felt and acted on, but no one
0: was saying it. Nobody so, fucking vocalized that.
1: There's a few people that like did that in, in my life and as like an adolescent and a young woman. And like some of the people like Roseanne Barr was yeah. like, Hey, we're a family and we are barely getting by. And yeah, we scream at each other in the kitchen. Yeah. And I think everybody's just assholes unclenched. And they were like, oh, God, we don't have to lie anymore. Yeah. And there was something about Alanis that did that for me and, like, started me on this path of just, like, be a little angry.
0: Well, and there was a lot of that. I'm kind of skipping ahead now, but there's a lot of that in the 90s, especially because, like, there was so much... Uh, turmoil in the world you know like we, like the the gulf war was had started and ended by the time this album came out you look at a lot of the art that was coming out at that time yeah movies tv shows songs there was a fucking aggression to it it was the rise of the indie movies you know like you have like you have like quentin tarantino and kevin smith
1: i was going to say like yeah. pulp, that was like the era of pulp fiction i think yeah. of like of like that like it's like a little dirtier. Yeah. There's something about the nineties that was a little like, I mean, it's grunge.
0: Yeah. It was a little grungy. It was grungy. It was grungy. And it was also like, I mean, you have the, you have the, uh, the, the LA riots because of like the, the Rodney King, you know, beatings and everything. Like it, there's such insanity where like people were seeing the world for what it was for the first time. I think in the eighties, Everyone had this coked-up, glazed, glamorized version. White suit. White like, suit, fucking Ferrari. Saturday Night
1: Fever. Yeah. Like, oh, this is what it... Yeah. And they were still sort of, like, harping on the 70s. Like, coming into the 80s, 80s was like... I, I feel like everyone was like... <laughs> they put like a synth filter on everything yeah like you're just like oh it's all synth. It,
0: yeah. it, it was like such a it's all bright colors and fun yeah and you're like what is it yeah the 90s comes around and it's like no it's actually not fun the world sucks it's burning and we have <laughs> to do something about it you listen to like the the, the dialogue in like those indie films at the time and, and, it, and it is very much the same as like the the lyrics in in jagged little pill where it's like hey Fuck off. Like, there's there's things like it, in Clerks, the first movie, where yeah. they're talking about, like, the realistic uh, problems that happened when the Death Star got blown up and how they are just, the rebels are actually terrorists. And you're like, you know, nobody's talking about that because it's the good guys. But at the same time, at the, the U.S. was, at that point everyone knew that they were invading everyone. So this was kind of a thing that was on everyone's mind.
1: Everything was the realization that your guys aren't the good guys. Yeah. Which is like a hard, it's like when you find out your parents aren't right all the time, Mm. you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. What am I supposed to believe in now?
0: I mean, I still believed in Santa when I found that out. <laughs> <laughs> They're lying to me
1: about this shit now, They're too. They're lying to me about
0: this shit. What else is real? I pretended is to believe real? in Santa for a lot longer than oh, I, yeah. I was like, I fucking want more gifts. Dude,
1: my uh, my presents still say, to Britney from Santa. Yeah. <laughs> And my that's mom goes, so funny. And then I go, "Thank you, my mom." And then she goes, "Santa got it." Uh, and that's just, so funny. We play a little game.
0: That- I I do the same thing with my mom. Um. Okay. So I wanna I wanna just finish up. She uh, you wanna know becomes a huge hit. Yeah. Instantly, she starts touring. She's opening up for bands at first. She's playing shitty clubs. As their tour goes on, it ends up being a stadium tour. She auditions people though for this band like that is going to be her touring band and Taylor Hawkins of the Foo Fighters was her drummer. The Foo Fighters were also at the time starting up. And so they would often play the same gigs or they would be like crossing paths. So they'd leave notes in the green room for each other.
1: Oh my God. Which is
0: so funny. That's amazing. And then the, uh, the uh, uh, guitar player ended up playing for Jane's addiction years later. Um, The bassist was an accident. She didn't mean to call him. She meant to call a different guy. Really? She called him. He came in and she went, fuck, that was the wrong guy because that guy was like a jazz bass player and he had no idea what the fuck was happening. But if you listen to her music, it does shift based on like a lot to do with the bass in that time. And I think that it's because like you have this perfect combination of these rock kids. You have somebody who was a former childhood pop star, Who's got fucking anger? Rightfully so. Yeah. And then you have this jazz musician. Like, what the fuck is this?
1: Dude, a jazz bassist? Yeah. That's like, <laughs> I'm gonna go back and listen with a different ear. Yeah. Knowing that because it's like, yeah, that would shift. I mean, you like, you know what I love about the bass and anything is like, you don't. It, it's not meant to be the biggest note. Mm-hmm. You almost don't know what's there. Like, so, you know, like I used to play in like a like a band like a. Like school band, you yeah, know? yeah, and it's like,
0: you. What, could- what instrument did you play?
1: I played the saxophone.
0: Hey, Aaron, guess what? You fucking loser with the xylophone and the <laughs> timpani. Uh, sorry, Aaron, my, my co-host played the xylophone and the timpani, and oh, he really? failed a xylophone test. Fuck, because he didn't know how to play the notes, and they were literally <laughs> written on the fucking thing. So I, I just have to say, we have a better musician now <laughs> as a <the> co-host. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh no but you know what so like I when I think of like the bass line and you like look so my friend was in the she would play the trombone the trombones and the baritones and the tubas all sat in the back kind of Yeah. and I, there, I had this like secret like lust to be in the bass section because they were all kind of just like, Ugh. and but the thing about bass is is you don't necessarily hear it but you feel it. Yeah, it changes the dynamic of a song. It, it it's like the underlying like consistent thing. Like so, I have a jazz musician who jazz musician. Mu- why can't I say musician? <laughs> I don't know. We're written.
0: Um, is Britney have strokes?
1: <laughs> oh no! It's finally happened. <laughs> I. Uh, which I just like. If I had a stroke, I'd be like, "Yeah, hey, that tracks." Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Me too.
1: Given my lifestyle, uh, but yeah. So if I can, a jazz musician controlling basically the the like, jazz musicians are always a little like you. They're, oh yeah, they're
0: geniuses. They're geniuses.
1: They're like. So that's wild to know that. I, now I want to go back and listen to it. Like, it kind of blows my mind, though. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I, it, it, it fucked with me because, like, I, I'm always, like, interested to know what the background was of the artists before they became, like, a group or a collective, right? Like, yep. for instance, uh, Fleetwood Mac used to be a blues band. Mm-hmm, and they yeah. released ten albums as a blues band. That's fucking weird. Uh, you know? <laughs>
1: well, there's a Canadian band, Big Sugar, used to be a three-piece, like, uh... Kind of a, like a like a jazzy bluesy, mm. and they turned into this big rock band.
0: That's crazy. And they were
1: just like a three-piece, like you know.
0: Fuck, that's wild. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna get into the artist now. Please, Alanis. She was born June first, nineteen seventy four, in Ottawa, Ontario. Also, Brittany's wearing an Alanis Morissette shirt.
1: I keep thumbs upping and just (laughs) straight down the barrel. Which is funny because the
0: majority of our listeners are audio only. So (laughs) I'll have to add a description in in post. Brittany gives a thumbs up. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) Straight down Main Street.
0: (laughs) We appreciate you. Um, Um, Okay, so born in Ottawa, Ontario. Yeah. Both her parents were teachers. Uh, she had an older brother who is a business dude and a twin brother who is also a musician. That's gotta suck.
1: That your brother is a musician as well, and no. your twin, or what? That,
0: that your sister is—that uh, your twin sister is a musician—and yeah. you've been trying your whole life at the same time.
1: <laughs> I'm not getting the
0: same fucking accolades,
1: yo. But you know what? I think that isn't that always the way. Yeah, it's the person who tries and tries and tries. It's just, like, the universe is, like, hey, this wasn't meant for you. This was not for you. If this path is this hard, then...
0: Then you got to pick a different path.
1: How about, do you like spreadsheets? (laughs)
0: Because your older brother does. Uh, um... Um, Okay, so she was a Catholic family. And from the ages of three to six, her family lived in West Germany. Ooh. Um, Which is pretty interesting. Um, She said that uh, her German uh, experience was... uh, because that was, you know, back when there was East and West Germany. Uh, very, very influential on her. But she still considers Ottawa to be her always hometown. Right. Um, she started playing the piano at age six. Uh, took dance lessons at seven. At ten, composed her first song. And, like, released a single. And at twelve, was a cast member of You Can't Do That on Television, which was a Canadian sketch TV show. Wow. Uh. So she began her career super early, and then she signed with MCA Records Canada uh, and then released her first album, Alanis, only in Canada in 1991, which we've talked about before. It was a dance pop album. Yeah. Uh, It went platinum in Canada, though. Uh, which, as we found out, means nothing because in platinum in the States means a million <laughs> records. In Canada, it means 50,000. So, really? yeah, it's, it's so stupid. It's it, ridiculous. It, the fucking like it would be diamond here would be a million. Um, but uh, its first single made the top 20. Uh, And she co-wrote all the tracks on that. And she was 15 at the time.
1: Oh, my God. So
0: that's fucking crazy. Then in 1992, she releases her second album, Now This Is The Time, which was a ballad-driven record. I listened to it, and it was like her first record was great. It was like, you know, you could hear that 80s fucking, you know, funness to it. Second one absolute shit oh my god was it bad dude
1: there is something <laughs> so cringy about a disingenuous ballad mm-hmm. you're just like Ugh. well and
0: especially coming from like a 16 year old that you're like i oh. i don't know it's it, it's weird because like you know we see it now a lot with like pop stars because there's Younger and younger pop stars, it seems nowadays. Right, like it seems like you know, back in the day, yeah, there was pop stars that were big when they were kids, like you had like the Michael Jacksons and uh, you know the, those people, but it wasn't as pro, you know, as prevalent.
1: Dude, i, I like a, I like a, an age appropriate ballad. Mm-hmm. Like, actually, this is very funny. If you listen to Justin Bieber's "Baby." It's the lyrics are so age appropriate. They really are. Like you're, I, I go like, yeah, this isn't for adults. Yeah, this is for also twelve year olds. Yeah, like it's like he's like, I fell in love with the girl for the first time, <laughs> and you're like, hell yeah, dude, you did, of course.
0: And it, and then it's like he's heartbroken, and you're like, yeah, dude, I get you.
1: you like, yeah, you'll get like, over it. Quit saying baby, cause that's <laughs> <not> too little. <laughs> But it's just like, yeah, with these big, like f- feelings of like I've been left and yeah. you're like oh god, is that really like I can't. When I was sixteen, I don't think I had was experiencing those things. No,
0: I I definitely wasn't. Uh, when I was when I was sixteen, uh, somebody recorded me drunkenly telling a girl that I loved her and that I wanted to start a farm with her. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they posted it on Facebook, and um, that's Dude, that video is still out there. I used
1: to have posters on my walls, and then I would make out with the posters. Mm. And I don't know how long that lasts. Maybe 13, 14. Maybe spice, by the time I was driving, I quit kissing the posters on yeah, the walls. Yeah, yeah. But I Which don't is think an I,
0: appropriate time to stop kissing I think the posters? So,
1: mostly for ink poisoning reasonings.
0: Yeah, reasonings. I I, <laughs> I feel like that's yeah that's you're you're getting like George's wife in in Seinfeld. You're getting <laughs> ink poisoning from the fucking posters. If I,
1: that's if that's how I died, what a fucking tragic way to die. <laughs> did, did she catch Did she catch something from kissing another person? No, she died of ink poisoning from kissing a poster <laughs> on <out> her wall. <laughs>
0: Holy fuck um, Yeah no it's 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 very true though Like the the needing to have like that age appropriate thing Speaking of age appropriate thing um, So she was dropped by her label In 92 uh, Because she wanted to have More control over the songwriting
1: Whoa the Our bunnies, bunnies are, are, are going, going nuts, nuts.
0: <laughs> I had a fucked up dream last night That one of my bunnies lost two of their legs Whoa And they just kind of fell off And I was like that's not right. And I was panicking and I was like, we need to take them to the vet. And Siobhan was like, no, it's okay. We'll figure it out. And I was like, I don't think that's how this works. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, there is blood all over the place. Uh, (laughs) This bunny is dying. Um, Okay. So in 1992, she was dropped by her label because she wanted to have more control over the songwriting process. And a lot of the guys at the label uh, did not agree. And she wanted to have a more, what we get in Jagged Little Pill sound. She wanted to have a sound that was more uh, singer songwriter in the traditional sense instead of, you know, writing uh, uh, pop fucking ballads, yeah. you know? Um, there was also, though, a lot of sketchy behavior that was happening in the studios at the time. What? And she was 15. And so, like, record producer Leslie Howe, apparently they had a relationship. He was like mid 20s i think to like early 30s at the time super fucking gross yeah there was a lot of guys and and she said this in her documentary that apparently there was like a, a switch that would go off and she could see when it was going to happen so it was kind of like waiting for the shoe to drop as to like when these guys would stop being collaborators and then when they would suddenly be predators and at the time, obviously, as a 15-year-old, she didn't realize, like, how fucking gross that was. And now she's like, oh, no, all those people were pedophiles. Yeah. Like, and what's really fucked about it is that, like, you have a record company that, you know, is dropping her for saying she wants to have songwriting credits. But they're working with all these guys that are literally fucking a 15-year-old in a studio.
1: Yeah. And that's wild to me. Yeah. It's not wild. It, I mean, the notion is, but, it like, of course – Mm -hmm. And you know what, like that still, I'm sure there's, it's changing. I hope it's changing, but a grown up with kids, it's always creepy. I don't think it's a good idea. No. Like, I I think, I think you should, I think her, like, I think her dad should have been there. Yeah. I think like somebody should be like supervising that process until you're an 18 year old person.
0: Yeah. Especially when it's like the, their, their songwriting process was going or like their studio process, they would start at like five in the afternoon and go until like five in the morning. Yeah. So there's like there's you know 12 hours there where it's a young girl with this fucking creepy old man and like i don't i don't want to blame her at all for this like that's not what i mean by that i mean like it's fucking gross that we have to have supervision in it these situations gross. you know and you
1: know what i was a 15 year old girl who used to like work with older guys and it was just countdown to when they it's like it's that was always their intention mm-hmm. it was never like oh i they're going to Something just happened and sparks flew. It's like you look back at that now as an adult and yeah. you go, "Oh, they were just waiting to when you felt comfortable and they felt a little more trusted and this and this, and then they could." Hah! And then they go, "Oh, I thought we were having a good." Yeah. And you're like, you're like "But at the time, I, I was, was, was a was,
0: child." Thank you. Yeah, like, like fuck.
1: I mean, I was into it. I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> I was, <laughs> but so I'm not gonna go back and claim anything. You know, uh, bad happened, but it just was like.
0: It's kind of like how when I tell people I lost my virginity when I was 13 to a 17-year-old girl, and they're all like, that's really creepy. I'm like, but at 13, I was kind of into it. Like, I, like,
1: like, I was actually just looking for a high five. I was I like, uh, <laughs> hey,
0: uh, isn't that cool, everyone? Uh, everyone? Uh, no? Okay, cool. I'll, uh, but I'll-
1: there is something when work comes into it. So she's this artist. She's this young artist. And there is this thing where you are, like, sort of willing to be a- – be in those situations because you're like, well, I just want to get this done. Yeah. And it's the most creative way to do it. And, and especially
0: when you're doing an artistic practice. Yeah. It's fucking really hard.
1: And you don't get a lot of shots. And, and you don't want to say no to stuff because yeah. you're like, okay, is it a little weird that it's three o'clock in the morning? Yeah. Yeah. But also, you know what I would have been thinking in my 15-year-old brain?
0: Cool. Yeah. I would have been like, this could be fucking cool. I would have too. I would have too. I absolutely fucking would have too. And that's that's the part that, you know, like everybody – oh, God. This is now falling. Hello. We're back. Um, Okay. So uh, after she gets dropped from her label, she moves to L.A., uh, she is kind of alone at the time because she doesn't know anybody there. She gets in contact with Glenn Ballard. They start working together. It's a very good relationship. He actually seems like not a creep. Yeah. Uh, everything that I've looked at from this dude, I'm like, oh no, he seems like he was a good dude. And she was like 19 at the time, you know? Right. It's so good that she's in a place where like she can actually work with this guy collaboratively and he's not a fucking weirdo. Uh, he also seems to speak very highly of her, which is very nice. I like that. You know, years later, he's like, she is so fucking talented. Like that just made me happy. That's so great. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, okay. So over the course of the year, they do all these writing sessions, the recording in one takes, she's leaving the, the process, like the, from these sessions, listening to the tracks in her car not remembering that what she wrote like it's very like you know when you go on stage and you're like i want to work on a new bit and you don't exactly fucking have it so you record it then you listen to it later and you're like fuck i forgot about that you know like yeah, it, yeah. It, that that's what it sounded like to me um like she what,
1: wanted to go back and she was like oh i have this one little thing
0: yeah, yeah 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 and so she would like she would listen to it later and it was it was great um so then Jake little pill gets picked up it's a huge success tours for 18 months straight which is fucking insane and especially because like when we're on the road for 18 months that means that we've just been a working comic for 18 months and you get like a a couple of road gigs a month and you're fucking good with her it was like every single night she was in a different city that's and when she wasn't performing she was at the grammys accepting awards for best album
1: (laughs) and on the smallest level can i tell you that that like to me that every night in a different city everything like I'm in a different city every maybe four or five days. Yeah, but it's like I get to come home. Yeah, also. I get to come home, reset, and then go to a different city. But like that eighteen months, dude, there's no reset there. There's no. no
0: like, so you would just you just have to commit to I live on the road. And she literally did not have a home in that eighteen months. Why would you? Yeah, why would you? Yeah, and and uh, so after that tour is done, though, Taylor Hawkins gets a call from the Red Hot or the Foo Fighters yeah. because they're like, hey, we need a drummer. He accepts the offer uh obviously Atlantis was kind of bummed about that because they they all collectively kind of became a family on the road um but I mean that kind of worked out I think for everyone like it it was very understandable like he wasn't a sessional drummer you know he was he was the touring drummer so Mm -hmm.
1: um she was not happy with it though
0: no not happy at all
1: Like I think she was pretty I think there was like a pretty big beef there for a while
0: there there was definitely like a lot of uh
1: Animosity. Animosity. Maybe.
0: Yeah. um But I think that it, it it did recover because, like, her and the Foo Fighters were, like, fucking tight. Yeah. And so I feel like it was probably really awkward for a year or two. And then I think that it was kind of like, okay, you know, realistically.
1: Just like anything. Yeah, it's like anything when you're friends with somebody, you go, like, hey, that's great. You know what? Good for you, man. Yeah. Like, it seems <laughs> like you're doing what you want. You're doing <laughs> yeah. good, but yeah, yeah, yeah. also, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> but I wish you'd leave me. Yeah.
0: Um, her two subsequent albums after jagged little pill also reached number one on the billboard charts, uh, supposed former infatuation junkies and Alanis unplugged, Mm -hmm. which Alanis unplugged. There was some originals, but it was mostly just acoustic fucking versions of all these songs. Um, after the last December, 1996 show for the jagged little pill tour, though, she went to India for six weeks accompanied by her mother and aunt and friends, and that trip was kind of what inspired her next songwriting process. I love that, actually. I think that it makes sense.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a pretty big, like, cultural shift. You'd probably see some things that were, like, you know, inspire you in ways you had never been inspired. And then she's with her, like, core group. Doing yeah. T- it just would change the way. It's, it's it's crazy how, like, things in life just shift your brain. You know the way things run through your head, and it
0: also seems like it would be like uh, because I think the first album was you know because obviously I've listened to her 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 newer stuff like uh, like her stuff that came after Jagged Little Pill, but I think like it is funny because like Jagged Little Pill seemed like I need to get this out, and then her next album is like here's some thoughts, yeah, you know, like it's like (laughs) it wasn't
1: as like
0: yeah punch you in the face. And I think that that's great. I think that more, you know, like, I think that that's okay that artists do that. What I think is funny is, like, it's like the the Carlin thing. Like, Carlin had five stages of his career. Yeah. He had, like, the the clean-cut corporate guy. He had the long-haired hippie guy. He had the old guy suddenly. Then he had the angry fucking political guy. And then he had the goofy old guy thing.
1: Yeah, it's called growth.
0: Yeah, it's growth.
1: It's like, you know, when people are just like, oh, they, you know. Oh, the last album wasn't this album. And you're like, well, of course it wasn't. She's, she's totally shifted as a person. She went from this dejected, like she'd been dropped from her label in Canada. Yeah. Told she wasn't worth it by anybody.
0: She was sexually abused.
1: By everyone that was, could, you know, could. Yeah. And then she fucking, and so she had all these things to say that was like, I'm going to say it my way. Yeah. But then once you have people's ear. Then you can do what the fuck you want. The rage starts to subside. Yeah. And you can go, hey, like, I, these are just the stories I wanted to tell. Yeah. And now I don't have to scream them down your fucking throat.
0: Which is fucking amazing. Because yeah. then it, it's, like, I think that that's when artists get their best shit. Because she even said after that tour wrapped up that she felt at peace because she felt like she could do what she wanted to now. Yeah. Which is a fucking great feeling.
1: Which that feeling of needing to, like... To get the audience to trust you so that you can do what you want,
0: mm-hmm. that's a
1: long road. Oh, yeah. So, like, how long from the time she started, like, she's a kid. Yeah. It basically took from she's a kid to her second or th- fourth album, I guess it would have been, because everyone's considering this her first album. But yeah, yeah. As we said, it's her third
0: album. It's her third. So,
1: but by her fourth album, she- that's how long it took to be like,
0: okay. Oh, yeah.
1: Which is wild.
0: That's fucking insane. That's pretty cool. I mean, in all fairness, I've recorded two comedy albums, and my next one is going to be my magnum opus, so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I am going to sit down and write America's next great novel. I am going uh... to write
0: the next best thing. Uh, Everyone is going to review my work in literature classes for decades.
1: (laughs) Well, it's, it's, no, it's uh, that feeling of, like, I'm working on a new album right now, Mm -hmm. and, uh, for comedy not the saxophone but uh although you know what <laughs> really? can you
0: fucking please Dude, do a saxophone album
1: <laughs> i should pick up the this sax- i haven't played it since i was Dude, 12
0: we I can think, do a banjo whatever. and saxophone album <laughs> and then aaron can play the xylophone because i'm sure that he can Hell, yeah. pick it up yeah. easily. I
1: we just need it we just need a jazz bassist to we just need a
0: jazz bassist to round it out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dope. Sammy Benti can be on the vocals. Oh, heck, uh, yeah. Uh, that would actually be great. Um, okay, so... Uh, wait, so you were oh, talking about your album. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And so, like, I always think you have this big, like... Uh like, idea that you're like, this one's me. This mm-hmm. is how I sound. This is what I want this to sound like as a collective. And you know what? You get through it, and you've said the jokes too many times, and too much time has passed, or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. And you almost already feel over it by the time you've recorded it. Yeah. So you're like, oh, this is not even who I am anymore. And then you've got to put this thing out there... Because that process... To, so it's like, take
0: me two years... And then years. six months later, you come up with a way better angle for that the, fucking joke.
1: Yeah. So I would I can imagine songwriting is, is similar in that you like... It's taken so long to write these songs, produce these songs, perform these songs, get them on an album. Mm-hmm. And then the turnover for an album is not a month. It's no. like six months. Yeah. So then you got to go and then you're promoing this thing that you're not even anymore... And so by the time your next thing comes out, people are always like, wow, that's
0: so different. You're yeah. like,
1: yeah, it's been seven years. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, well, like, of course. And, like, I feel like uh, the way that I've looked at it from from my own process, my first album, I was the most myself, but my writing sucked. My second album, my writing was fucking amazing, but I was not myself. Right. And now I'm like... Now I feel like I'm at a place on stage where both of those things are coming together. And so I'm like, ooh, now it is going to be a good fucking no, piece of art when it comes out. Uh, that's not going to be for a while, though. Please give me a record deal. Um, Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so after after that, uh, she began acting again. Yeah. And uh, she played God in Dogma. Of course. Which is fucking amazing because we were talking about Carlin earlier. He plays a Catholic priest in that yeah. movie. We got young Ben Affleck. We got young Matt Damon. Uh, so many people are. Oh, there. it's so incredible! the 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 cast on that uh, Chris Rock, Jason Lee, like <laughs> what the fuck is happening? Penelope Penelope Cruz, like, dude. What? There's
1: something that about Kevin Smith's brain that is like you couldn't recreate it if you tried. Like there's nothing like he makes something and you. Every, every choice he's made, you go, yeah, of course. But you know what? I I never would have thought that
0: amazing about that movie is that like Alanis doesn't speak in that role as God, but she conveys absolutely everything through her eyes and you see it and you're just like, that's a fucking good actor. Like that's that right there. What you're doing is amazing because you're able to control the scene even just with that. Um, She also performed at Woodstock 99, which was a fucking incredible performance. I watched it. It's so... You can tell that she's having this cathartic fucking, like, joy on stage. She's, like, really going crazy with the harmonica. Uh, It's just, like, another, like, next-level fucking performance. And that is... uh, That was before Woodstock 99 got all bad. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, she's performing for 350,000 people. Oh, my God. And, like... I can't imagine what that feels like because we've both done big stages. There's big stages and then there's that.
1: It's well, you kind of have to be just delivering a performance. I would think like the the energy from the audience I've been in, been in an audience, like maybe not that. I've been like at Coachella though. I, I used to go to Coachella all the time. And there's this feeling like this feeling of energy that is palpable. So I can't, even begin to imagine what that feels like on stage. Yeah. I know from a comedy perspective, I've been in like, you know, like in bigger theaters where you look out and you're like, I just have to do what I'm going to do because there's not pockets of people like it. you have to perform as a whole. And it
0: literally doesn't fucking matter. Like, you have to just, you have to kind of do it like a monologue. You like have you to were just. were going to do it. Yeah. Because, I
1: mean, they are responding, they are laughing. Whatever. Yeah. But, like, in 300,000 people,
0: 300,000 people is another level where I'm just like, that's terrifying. You have to be terrifying. so
1: sure of yourself yeah. and so sure of your ability. Yeah. Like, going out there and you're like, I, like, just to recognize, like, there are 300,000 people watching this.
0: And that's, that's insane.
1: That's a crazy, I cannot. Fathom.
0: So. I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly get through this because we got
1: we gotta <laughs> we gotta go. We gotta wrap it up. We
0: gotta go. Uh, so um we got track lists and notable singles. Okay, so all I really want was uh, number fourteen. Uh Lannis compared herself to Estella from the Charles Dickinson novels Great Expectation. Uh, while having a confrontation with her partner about the uncomfortable relationship. You ought to know, number one, we've talked about it a lot. Yep. Songs also not about Dave Coulier, she has said. But Dave Coulier has said that it's about him. But... Uh... <laughs> I also don't think that it I okay, I think that it is about Dave Coulier in some way, but I don't think that all of it is. You know, like I think that I think that she took all of these feelings from all of these guys that dicked her over. Matt LeBlanc, Dave Coulier, fucking Leslie Howe, all these people, and she put them all into one feeling. Feeling because it doesn't need to be specific. It's specific experiences that I think make up a whole as to like how she feels.
1: Um, she is quoted uh, like on uh, I think it was Andy Cohen asked her um, pretty recently. Uh, like what who it was and she was like, "I it's not Dave." She's like, "It's all these people." Yeah, and then he she, they were like, "Well, why if you are proud of being an asshole, like why would you make why that? would you out yourself?" Because it's him that's being like that. Yeah, that song's about me. Yeah, and you're like get a life dude
0: yeah and and like honestly cut, like cut it out <laughs> yeah cut it out um it, he he has said though that him and her are friends still to this day yeah uh she actually when his sister was dying of uh <clears throat> ms she flew to wisconsin and played a private concert for her in her uh, she also has ms hospital. yeah yeah so it, it's it's really beautiful like that they have been friends and stuff and like uh and and he even said uh, recently on in an interview with uh, Jim and Sam, he was like, uh, they, they brought up the song and then he was like, oh, you do the popcorn trick in a movie theater one time. And then he's like, he's like, no, but like, I don't know. Like, you know, we've talked about it and I don't think that the song is about me. Like, you know, okay. it's kind of like he I think at the time thought it was about him. And fair enough, because it like he probably heard one thing in that that made him go, fuck, that was about me. Yeah. Um, OK, so we're going to move on to reception. This album, fucking incredible reception. Critically, not as successful, though. It was commercially successful. Bye. Um, that was weird.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, we just, they, they can't see behind the camera. They can't see behind we the camera. We just waved bye to Siobhan, so it looked like we just stopped saying something. We're like, bye. How bye. Are you That's <laughs> the end
0: of the episode. Yeah. That's it's it. it. Cut <laughs> we cut off here. We don't even review it. Uh-huh. Um, no, but I... I commercially huge success 33 million copies sold wow 16 times platinum second highest selling album by a female artist it won the grammy for album of the year in 96 uh and it won a total of five grammys because it won for like music video for ironic a few other things it's on the rolling stones list of the top 500 albums of all time oh yeah and it keeps charting on that list like every time they make it 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 has not fallen off of that list critically though there's a lot of people who won we're trying to say that the record companies were trying to shill out this, uh, you know, uh, Oh, let's make a female grunge artist sort of thing. And they weren't, <sighs> they also were saying that she didn't write these songs herself and like all of these things. Of
1: course, of course they're yeah. like, yeah, they're like, Hey, how is this? Basically all I'm hearing is how, how is this, this good?
0: Yeah. How so, is this woman capable of doing? We're this? just going to punch holes in this. Yeah. And, 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 A lot of the uh, reviews at the time that were coming from, like, critics, uh, and I say that in quotes because critics always suck when it comes to fucking reviewing things, but they were, like, they all said, like, it was too angry. They said what most of the record labels were saying. The difference is you look at the reception of who was at her concerts, and it was literally fucking everyone. She crossed age demographics. She crossed gender demographics. She crossed race demographics. Everyone fucking related to her music.
1: Dude, it's crazy. Like, I always, and this is, like, a weird gender thing to me, but I'm, like, uh, for some reason, because I loved her so much, and it seems like this big female perspective and stuff. For a while, I was, like, shocked to hear that, like, it men felt the same way about this album. Yeah. Like they were like, fuck, this is so good. This yeah. is so like, this speaks to me. This is like,
0: and and the fact that dudes can go through a breakup and then put on you out of no and feel the fucking same,
1: the same That's way. Literally
0: what I did a couple of years ago. <laughs> I had, a, I had a, okay, I'm, th- th- this is uh, this is not, I'm not going to name names. So it's fine. Uh, but I, I, I was seeing this girl. She broke up with me twice. Like we got back together once. She yeah. broke up with me twice for the same dude. And, uh, hurts feelings. Yeah. Oh my God. Did I ever fucking blare this song? And then she had the audacity to show up two weeks later with a different dude on a date and sat front row in the fucking opening night of a play that I was in. What? And I had told her to not do that. I was like, can you just like not see me for a while? Yeah. And, uh, so what I think is funny about it though, is that I'm like, I, I then that song as an adult, I was like, Yes. Fuck you! And I like was listening to it on the bus, and I was like, "Yeah, you fucking ought to know, you bitch. I know that you <laughs> wouldn't do what He did because that was that was somebody who uh, I had a uh, what we called a fuck it list. Yeah. So we made a list of places that we were gonna th- fuck in public, basically. Right. And uh, so I'm like, "Yeah, is that person gonna fucking go down on you on a C train? No, exactly. <laughs> go fuck yourself." <laughs> I'm just so
1: angry. Well, there's like, I mean, uh, there there's that feeling of like, yeah, you're 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 relating to it like the breakup thing is so funny they i know with jan arden too that was a similar story everyone Mm -hmm. was like this is too sad yeah like no one wants to listen to this it's too sad and then oh i
0: would love to have jan arden on the pod because i'm actually friends with her
1: she's very i i don't know her but i love her a lot she's
0: so fucking (laughs) cool i helped her download an app to her phone very cool the first time that i met her
1: she's very i'm obsessed um (laughs) but apparently like somebody uh whoever the the guy was that that um, good story. If I don't know any of the details, uh, <laughs> you know this
0: guy. He did this thing. <laughs> he was
1: a producer or something. He listened to it. Listened to the album, and he was like, "Oh, that's just too sad." And then he like left it in his CD player, and then went. He went on a vacation or something, and his girlfriend broke up with him and left him. And he was like, "Oh my god!" And he got back into his car like when he got back and put it in and he was like oh my god
0: and and i'm guessing that was insensitive yeah which is like that is a fucking heart-crushing song
1: well so like it, it's all about hearing it with the right ears like yeah and everybody assumes like okay like no one's gonna want to listen to this like angry perspective and it's like yeah i do
0: god it's, damn it oh god it's
1: happening again <laughs>
0: No, but that makes sense.
1: Mary Jane, though, I saw her. So I just went to the concert mm-hmm. and I watched her perform live that song. And that was like, I lost it. I started crying because I don't think you like know how beautiful her voice really is. Cause I don't think she gets that credit. Yeah. Like it's, she's not, she sounds like nobody else. She has these insane vocal chops.
0: Oh my God. So to
1: hear it live and just fill an arena and take you back to that place of being that age and hearing it that way and like in concert she dressed the same like she must have put hair extensions in oh that's so she cool she had a big baggy neon t-shirt
0: oh i love that so
1: like she played mary when she sang mary jane it was like i don't know what it was but i just like heard the beauty in her voice and i was like oh my god so overwhelmed yeah yeah yeah
0: no no, no absolutely I I totally could understand like live. I, I wouldn't give a fuck because I, I, I watch so many bands live where yeah. I'm like, I, I'll watch like songs that I can't stand. I love when I see them live. Uh, excuse me. Um, okay. So we're going to wrap this up. We're going to get into the review of the album. So we're going <laughs> to review on technical element, musical element, lyrics, reception, album art, and does it hold up? So we review out of six. Okay. Each of these we review out of 10 and then okay. we average it out at the end. Sure. So, technical element. I would give this a 9 out of 10. I think technically it's pretty flawless. There's a few there's a few songs where and and this is partially because she was a, a one-take wonder with it, right. where the mix isn't as as solid as it could be, but it's still it's not noticeable, I don't think. To most people that wouldn't be the the the, the game changer.
1: Okay. I um I'll give it an eight, just because. I mean, like, I, I don't know if I'd give pet sounds a ten. Mm.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah.
1: So, like, just on that scale.
0: Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That that okay. totally makes sense. Okay. So then, musical element. I'm gonna. I I'm gonna. I'm gonna give it an eight. I feel like. Uh, I feel like it's really strong. I feel like there's a lot in this album that that takes from different genres and it incorporates them very well. And it was very ahead of its time specifically for that reason. So for that, I would give it an 8 out of 10. But I will say uh, the only reason I'm not giving it a higher number is just because I feel like uh, it's it's one of those things where a part of the time, uh, you know, at the time it was it was new but now it's been done a lot you know that that right. mixing of those genres so that's why i would say 8 out of 10
1: i'll go i'll for the same reasons 8 out of 10
0: awesome okay uh lyrics i would give it 10 out of 10
1: yeah i am i'm that's here's the thing yeah. it's un, un the, unmatched like lyrically yeah i i mean I, that's a big statement to make
0: no 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 but it it is it is absolutely but it's fucking unmatched there's
1: nothing you can even compare to it no, I mean, the only thing I think can think closely, like, I mean, tragically hip mm-hmm. like that sort of it's just its own thing and
0: it's perfect. And we talked about how it's like how it is that honest approach it's it's con- that it's that gut punching feel. Right. Um, OK, reception. Uh, I would have to give it a seven out of ten. And the only reason is, is because critically, it was not as well received. And that sucks because uh, it is fucking amazing. I'm gonna go eight only because that pisses me off. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, because of course it wouldn't be, yeah. you know. And 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 that's totally fair. That's a really good reason. Actually, spite. <laughs> <laughs> um, album art. I would say you know what? It's kind of it's kind of that generic '90s fucking album art, and that's the only problem that I have with it. It's it is good, but I yeah. would say seven and a half out of ten.
1: Okay, album art. I'm gonna go eight because i agree with that that it's just a watercolor mm-hmm. splash of whatever but it's iconic
0: that's fair
1: dude there you see that that you see this much you see a square of like what that and you know exactly what it is that's also like i might true. even go nine dude because like it's like uh, it. okay is it like some crazy thing no but it's ex- it just is representative. You look at it, you go that's a that's that album.
0: And also, I guess that is fair because you know what it would. Okay, I'll change my answer and I'll go an eight too. Okay, because I I think that that's fair because this was like one of the first ones to do it. You know, like there was like a few country albums at the time that were doing like that same sort of thing. But everybody it, else's
1: is just their face, dude. Yeah. There's an there's an Eagles album that's just like the skull of an eagle. Yeah, and it's like you see that. Is it like the coolest? like thing you've ever seen no but you look at it and you go that's that album
0: that's also very fair now does it hold up I would say yes
1: I'd say yes all right
0: so Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill
1: Eight point two five out of ten. How, how did you do that,
0: dude? I added up so fucking quickly. Really? <laughs> I, I keep adding. Like as we were going, I was I was averaging it out, and then I got it, and I was like, "Yeah, okay, we got this." Are
1: you a genius? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I'm
0: actually Rain Man. Uh. Um, <laughs> I remember I said Cloaca. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember. Uh, all right, so Brittany, where can we find you on social media? What gigs do you have coming up? Oh, this boy. is coming out next Wednesday.
1: Next Wednesday. All right. Well, I will be... Uh, social media, you can find me at Brittany the comedian on Instagram. Yeet. Uh, BrittanyLysing on Twitter, which I've just revived my Twitter. <laughs> and oh boy, I have 54 followers and I'm stoked. So really, really get on that page. Uh, TikTok at just BrittanyLysing. And uh, uh, gigs, you can see me. We well, can see me and Spencer in Lethbridge in January. But before that, I will be in... Uh, Victoria in November I'll be in Toronto in a week I'll be in Saskatoon so maybe just hit up my Insta yeah yeah. I'll post a thing you're touring all over the country I'm around
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you so much for listening uh we'll see you next week cool beans Thank you for
1: listening to this episode of Misfits on Vinyl, hosted by Spencer Strykert and me, Aaron Walsh, and of course produced by Sam, Sam the tech man, Sam Lindsay. If you like us, please rate us, subscribe to us, share us. Our socials are Misfits on Vinyl podcast on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to send
0: us an email with any suggestions or criticisms, <laughs> uh, we love that shit, so send it away. It's Misfits on Vinyl at gmail.com. We love you guys. Thank you.